0: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. First pick
1: in the 1991 NBA draft, the Charlotte Hornets select. Larry Johnson from University of I'm not supposed to be here, man. A lot of people from where I'm from, you know, don't, don't make it. Charlotte, we're back.
2: Welcome in to another BuzzBeat, a Charlotte Hornets podcast. This is Richie and I'll be joined by Lee for this mailbag episode. We're going to take a quick break from draft prospects and put out an episode that's centered more around the Hornets and their current situation in the offseason. I actually, Lee, I showed you beforehand, but I brought some pink lemonade to drink tonight. What do you have going on there?
1: Uh, we're just working with a standard seltzer here today, but as our listeners cannot see my my studio name right now is pink lemonade. So we're on the we're on the same uh wavelengths. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I just think
2: that's like bad judgment on Miles Bridges' part, right? I mean, he, he did have to delete that Instagram post.
1: Yeah, I, I, you know, I think a lot of the 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 quick knee-jerk responses were like, why didn't he just say he got hacked? You know, like just the old faithful, I was hacked. It wasn't me. <laughs> like, cause, you know, you couldn't see his face or anything. I mean, I'm assuming that if you're listening to this level of niche Hornets podcast, corner of, of the podcast universe that you know exactly what we're talking about already, but right. we are referring to uh, a Miles Bridges Instagram post that may or may not have included some illicit items in the in the post. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and, and, and a pretty big summer for Miles Bridges too. So we'll, we'll see how that pans out for him, but it, it may not make a world of difference one way or the other. But before we get to the questions here, we have an announcement to make. We're going to make all of our listeners aware of something called Buzzbeat Plus. Many of you guys have probably heard of Substack, and if you visit buzzbeat.substack.com, you can learn more. About how you can get access to a private podcast feed. There are two plans that are going on right now. Now, Substack only allows you to put out a monthly fee of $5. You can't go any lower than that. So if you would like to pay a monthly fee for a couple of months just to kind of test it out, you can. But the more reasonable route to go is just to pay for the yearly plan at $35. You're saving. Twenty-five dollars over the course of those twelve months. You might as well go ahead and do that. You get three perks with this. Number one, you get ad-free episodes. This saves you time, provides you with the better listening experience. You know we know the time is valuable these days. So if you just save five minutes here, five minutes there, it's going to go a long way. Number two, early access to episodes. When we publish episodes. We usually set them for like a future date and time. For example, this particular episode was released on Wednesday morning on the private feed when most of you guys are probably listening to this on the public feed 48 hours later. And then number three, uh, we don't know how many we plan on doing, but exclusive episodes. This is something that will likely happen down the line where uh, some episodes just never make it to the regular public feed. And you guys can continue to listen to the public feed. It doesn't change anything on that front. But if you would like to have exclusive episodes, early access to episodes, ad-free episodes, consider going to Substack. There'll be a link in this description of the episodes. Uh, Lee, did I I miss anything here with this uh, announcement?
1: No, I think I would just say, you know, consider supporting uh, BG's coffee addiction. And, uh, you know, he's always got an afternoon coffee going when we're when we're recording and bringing you guys uh, the content that you love to hear. So, no, I, I'm excited about this. I think it's a cool way to get some early access to to the people who, you know, are, are like our constant listeners who we appreciate very much. And then, you know, as the draft gets back rolling, as the off season comes to an end, the season gets started and people start paying attention to the Hornets again, it'll be a cool way for folks to either get extra content or quicker content. So I I think it's a good idea. And thanks for setting it up, Richie. Today's
2: episode, we have some mailbag questions and we're just going to run down these questions. And I didn't really put him in any kind of order, but we're going to start with the coaching search. And there was a question from Carrington Willis. Does the front office set up an interview with Quinn Snyder now that he has stepped down as the Jazz coach? I would think that many fans would consider Snyder like the top option for the Hornets opening at the head coach position. But I also think that he's never really considered coaching for this upcoming season if it wasn't for the Utah Jazz. So I don't think we should get our hopes up. Uh, I don't think that he will even interview with the Hornets front office. All signs point to him taking a year off, potentially waiting it out for the Spurs job. He did coach for the, uh, the G League team in the Spurs organization in Austin for several years. The idea of Snyder as a coach, I think a lot of people thought of him immediately when Borrego was was let go. He's a proven guy that has coached under Coach K at Duke. He's coached under uh, Coach Bud for I think a season or two with Atlanta. and he has that longevity with Utah. So he's never made it to the conference finals, but he's been very successful over the course of his eight years in utah so i'm sure charlotte has at least tried to reach out to him or his agent to interview but i think every report is suggesting that he won't even coach next year um lee i'm, I'm assuming you would have snyder as like that first option if he was actually a legitimate option
1: yeah i think i mean look like obviously things in Utah are not ending and did not go exactly the way they wanted things to go there. You know, when you have, you know, the multiple time defensive player of the year and you have this, you know, young dynamic, all pro guard, I, I think they obviously had championship aspirations and they didn't get there, but I, I think it's pretty common consensus knowledge around the NBA that Quinn Snyder is like an incredibly bright coach and an incredibly good kind of manager of personalities, which is such a big part of a job as an NBA coach, like even coming out of this kind of like mutual parting of ways or resigning, however you want to kind of classify it. Like it is, it is well documented that Quinn Snyder still has really good relationships with Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, which is even more impressive because Donovan and Rudy don't even get along half the time. So the fact that they both Uh, respect and enjoy playing for Snyder and even like the Woj report that Donovan Mitchell is kind of like upset about the fact that Snyder is leaving I think all is like points to the fact that Snyder is just a a, a terrific kind of like point man on the bench in the NBA so I agree with you Richie unfortunately it is absolutely a pipe dream of mine I'm hoping for some 11th hour breaking news, Woj bomb that they, you know, a, MJ flew him in privately and they had the talks and it's all happening. But I, I think you're absolutely right. I don't think we're even going to sniff him. And the only other like little color that I would add is like Zach Lowe and a couple of the other NBA reporters have also made comments on the fact that technically the Utah jazz, because of his contract could block him from coaching next season if they wanted to. Now, Quinn may not want to coach at all in the first place and Utah may not even exercise that right. If he did want to coach, they may say, no worries, like go do your thing. It's just kind of a small technicality. That's a little interesting that may just sway him to be like, look, I'm just going to take a year off and see what's available next offseason. So, yeah, I think uh, for better or worse, depending on how you feel about the remaining candidates, I think I think that's who we're rolling with, probably.
2: Well, let's talk about those two candidates. Kenny Atkinson, Mike D'Antoni are the two favorites for the job. Those are the two names that keep coming up. They're supposedly supposed to meet with MJ. Do you have a preference out of those two, a strong preference? Because for the longest time, my, my preference has always been with Darvin Ham, and then when he obviously uh, signed with the Lakers to coach them, it felt like a little bit like a letdown for me. But do you have a strong preference of the two,
1: man? It, the, the like breaking the cardinal rule in like sports opinion, like I keep going back and forth, yeah. and I do think there that that Dantoni would would be a fantastic fit for LaMelo for all of the obvious reasons. But then the flip side of that is this is already a top 10 offense. Mm -hmm. And we all know that the improvements that have to be made for this team to be a serious, even just like serious Eastern conference, like fun playoff team have to be on the defensive end. Not even, not even stretching to the point of talking about like actually competing for championships you look at the two teams that are remaining in, the, in in the finals right now, Boston and Golden State, both have fantastic, fantastic defenses. Mm-hmm. D'Antoni, although I would probably feel better about it if he got a to to steal a football term like a defensive coordinator type, that would be kind of his his um, you know right hand man on the bench. That that could go a long way for smoothing things over. Atkinson, I like a lot. I liked him in Brooklyn. Obviously, he's been in Golden State he is very well thought of around the league. I think my thing with Atkinson and, and I know this is not a novel opinion, but like he feels a lot like Borrego and it's like, you know, so, so we, ha- we fired a developmental yeah. specialty coach that had improved each year to hire another one. Spencer so brings I, that up a
2: lot. Spencer brings that up a lot. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's,
1: it's So it's tough. I mean, so so those are kind of like my high level pros and cons on both of them. I think if like, you forced me to make a call, I would say Mike D'Antoni just because of the cachet and the experience and just kind of like leaning into the identity of this team and hope that either through personnel or through kind of a defensive guru on his bench that they can make those improvements with that combined approach.
2: Yeah. The the gap that I have between Ham and then Atkinson and D'Antoni is actually bigger than I, the gap that I have between Atkinson and D'Antoni. You asked me tomorrow versus today, you know, I could have a different answer. But to the point about the player development, if you're going to go to Kenny Atkinson, it does feel very similar to Brego, oh. who Charlotte just let go. I guess, you know, the only counter argument you can make is that maybe he has a proven track record with getting a team to the playoffs, something that Borrego has yet to do and, and hasn't done in Charlotte. And you yep. look at that Nets roster in 2018, like it's, it's not, it's not that great. So it's crazy to think that that team finished sixth overall in the East. Obviously they did not make it past the first round, but you know, just to see him develop, you know, Dinwiddie and and D'Angelo Russell and, and uh, Joe Harris, That that is something that you could probably point to as more of a proven track record. And that could be the selling point there. But the question I always ask myself with like player development guys, like how easy is it to credit the coach for the development of those players versus is it just expected growth? of some of these young players, right? Like was Joe Harris and Dinwiddie and Russell just expected to grow like that? Or do you give credit to Atkinson? And then the question mark that I'm asking for Dan, Tony one is age. Like, you know, he's 71 years old. So like, if you're getting this guy as a head coach, how much longer is he going to stay around? And then number two, I just, I just hope that his offense is more similar to the Phoenix days versus the Houston days, because in Houston there's a lot of ISO heavy, Not a lot of passing. And yes, it's centered around James Harden, but I don't think that would be beneficial for this team and LaMelo to kind of go back to like his most recent stint in the NBA. So he's definitely a visionary offensive coach, and I think that you can draw the best out of LaMelo. But I I would hope that... It looked more like the Nash days in Phoenix. And and maybe, maybe, you know, he's smart enough to recognize that LaMelo is not a heliocentric type of guy and, and he wants to be more of a distributor and, and push the pace like that. So I actually lean
0: Atkinson, but it, it's it's very, very small. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed.
2: All right, next question. Let's move forward with this one. Uh, Berese Filippo, as we're getting closer to the draft, I feel the chances of us using both first-round picks are actually getting higher because of the value in the market. Do you feel the same? He's also asking for us to put per percentages on the idea of keeping both versus maybe keeping one versus trading both. So, I'll let you take this one because this is kind of more up your alley with the draft. So, what do you think about that idea of keeping both?
1: Yes. Yeah, so, I agree. I do think the closer we're getting to the draft, the more likely the Hornets are going to make both of these selections. And 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 part of that is because some of the uh, kind of rules and regulations around trading draft picks, particularly in like sign and trade situations, get get really fuzzy. Um, actually, one of our one of our participants in the Slack channel had brought that up um, a couple weeks ago when we were talking about the DeAndre Ayton stuff, which I think we have a question about later. Um, so, so there are just kind of like some mechanical issues with moving with moving the picks if you're moving it for a player that is under contract with another team. That being said, I think we're going to keep both these picks. Hmm. Uh, I would say a seventy percent chance they keep both these picks. I think at thirteen and fifteen, you're going to have. You're gonna have options for 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 solid value. This draft, honestly, I think it's historically probably a little weak, but I also think there's a lot of kind of like mid, late, late lottery, mid first round value to be had. So I like the options. I, I imagine Cupcheck likes a lot of the options, kind of in that range too. I would say a twenty percent chance that they keep one, and a ten percent chance they keep or that they trade both. And those percentages come from the fact that I think it's still possible that the Hornets could try to move up, whether that's, you know, moving 13 and or 15 with something else attached to try to move up into the top 10. If there's a player they're just completely in love with, like, I think that's still possible.
2: So wouldn't that fall into the category of trading both then?
1: Yes. Well, so keep, keep one 20%. Okay. Because then you're hold, holding on to one, trading yeah. one, and then trading both 10%. Okay. I actually think they'll
2: trade both before they just trade one. Because, like, what, what would you, what would the how would they trade just one? I guess is my question.
1: You'd have to attach a player yeah. with it. Yeah. yeah.
2: I guess that's true. But, like, I, to me, like, I'm with you. I, I think that they, the majority of my percentages here is keeping both, but I have it at 50%. I don't have it as high as you, but I do actually have 45% at trading both. I think there's a chance that if there's a player that's slipping, uh, you would package that 13 and 15 trade both to move up. So yes, you would be gaining a pick, but you'd be trading both of those picks uh, to move up in this particular draft. But I think from a roster construction point, I, I have a question for you. Yeah. Do you think it's even viable or smart? that Charlotte wants three rookies on this, on this upcoming roster. So you also got that 45 picks. That's, that's kind of why I'm wondering if they trade 13 and 15, you have a first round pick, just one. And then you have that second round pick as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, it is possible to keep and sign all three rookies, particularly when you think about the fact that, you know, you know, certainly the second round rookie would probably be on a two way, which means that either Kabulka or Lewis would be out and this new rookie would be in on a two-way contract. I think that's certainly possible. The other thing, and I think we're going to talk about this in depth later, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to get into the weeds on it now, but Cody Martin could have, you know, there could be an open roster spot there. Mm-hmm. Isaiah Thomas, there could be an open roster spot there. Montrez Harrell, there could be an open roster spot there. Obviously that's not accounting for the free agents they will sign, the point, I guess the point I'm trying to make is although it might seem a little counterintuitive because this team is really young, and like Kai Jones and Book Knight are both in the, the developmental pipeline and haven't cracked their way into the rotation yet, and JT Thor as well. So, like, it does feel like a little bit of a, a crowded kind of like young developmental pipeline uh, room in a way, but just how you lay out kind of the way these pieces could move and the value I think they could find at 13, 15 and honestly 45 as well. Like it wouldn't shock me that they would keep all three rookies. Although I don't know that that will be necessarily conducive to this team making a playoff push and they likely need to be acquiring value through other means, whether that's trade or free agency. Yeah. I think
2: if they do keep both, I mean, this is just my personal opinion. I I don't, I don't know if they want or need three rookies on this team. So I do think if they keep both thirteen right. and fifteen, I wonder what they're going to do with that pick number forty-five. Could they trade that pick, attach a player like Ubre, and just trade him to a, a team with cap space like Detroit? Like Ubre plus forty-five to Detroit. I, I don't. I don't know if Detroit would want that. Like, do they need his? Yeah, services over in detroit but uh it would, it would help with charlotte with their cap and their in their situation when they're you know trying to save some money for cody martin miles bridges and stuff like that so
1: well and the, and the only last thing i'll say is uh you know the the mason pumley trade was on draft night last year so you know mitch has been active during draft i mean it seems like every year they trade in the second round too you know two years ago it was moving up to get vernon carey and acquiring nick richard so like it's definitely possible the Hornets will be pretty active on on draft night.
2: Next question comes from Russ Heltman signs pointing to Aiton leaving Phoenix. Does this make bridges more likely to come back to Charlotte with cap space teams going after a big man over miles bridges? Yeah. So there's been some recent reports about Aiton uh, unlikely to return to Phoenix. He was not offered a max extension last summer and for whatever reason, there just seems to be some kind of tension between him and Monty Williams. So I guess if the Pistons or the Blazers or a team that has cap space wants to offer him some money, I'd assume that either the Suns would match and work out a sign and trade or um, just kind of let him walk, which would be kind of interesting to see like Aiton. He's a former number one pick, correct? Like number one overall pick? Yeah. 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 I like to see him leaving for nothing. Yeah. Not you know not because his career fizzled out, just because there's something with him and Phoenix that just doesn't seem to be working out. But back to the sign and trade for a moment. I, I've noticed that a lot of Hornets fans are trying to to make a trade with Aiton, and I, I just want to kind of spell this out real quick. How unlikely that is with some of the uh, the rules that come with the salary cap. So in simplest terms. There's something called base year compensation, BYC. It's activated once when um, the sons sign Aiden, and he's receiving a 20% raise, and there's other criteria that activates this as well. So following the salary signing of Ayton, let's just say he signs for $30 million, which is obviously a 20% raise of his previous salary. This BYC actually is only 50% it's only a 50% figure of the of the outgoing salary so suns would be sending out 15 million even though his contract is 30 million and the incoming salary would still be the same for what he signed for so if charlotte is to trade for aiton in a sign and trade just for the sake of this this kind of like experiment here they would have to send out 25 24 million to suns but The Suns can only accept twenty million because, technically speaking, Aiton is only worth fifteen in that situation. So it just is not going to work. There's got to be a third team involved. Um, I know that's not what this question is about, but back to the original question, you know, maybe Aiton is more sought after than Miles Bridges. Maybe he's a bigger commodity because of the position he plays. There's just not a lot of bigs out there. Uh, But I do think this, like Charlotte is going to do everything in their power to resign miles bridges, regardless of who else is in the market. So there's probably going to be teams competing for bridges. There's also going to be teams competing for Ayton. but I think when it's all said and done, I don't know if this is really going to matter all that much.
1: Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, it is an interesting, it is kind of an interesting thought yeah. that, I, that, I, that I had never thought about. It would, it would kind of be like the Deandre Ayton sweepstakes. Um, diluting the the right. demand for bridges in the market although and and i could probably make an argument on both sides of this but like i do think there's a pretty like logical argument that you could make that miles bridges should be more valuable in the market than deandre Ayton. and and actually it'll be fascinating to see which one of them uh how their contracts compare um, I would imagine Aiden's going to want to sign a, a long-term deal wherever, wherever he, he ends up. So I agree with you, Richie, that in, in, in the sense that in some ways this is just like tunnel vision. It doesn't matter. You do whatever you have to do to get Miles Bridges back on this roster. You retain the asset, and Miles Bridges and LaMelo Ball are kind of the two just completely untouchable guys on this roster. Although you could argue P.J., kind of has been because he's been in so many rumors and it's never happened so like maybe they view him in certain ways as untouchable. I do think the trades that I see thrown out for PJ Washington are are just ridiculous. Like I don't think outside of like, you know, people who really pay attention to the Hornets, which is our audience. And and certainly there will be people in our audience who aren't PJ fans, but what I'm the point I'm trying to make is The value that the Hornets rightfully, in my opinion, place on P.J. Washington is that they will have to be coaxed to give him up, and it would have to be a very valuable haul in return. So all that being said, I think Miles Bridges is going to be retained by hook or by crook. I think that DeAndre Ayton will have suitors and will probably get moved. The other, the other angle to all this is there's not a ton of cap room out there. There's only a certain amount of teams that can really make plays. So will the Hornets have competition for miles bridges? Probably. Will they be able to offer him more than anyone else and keep him in town? I think so. All right,
2: let's move on to the next question from Keith. Longtime listener at K E. I F underscore W on Twitter should Cody Martin be allowed to walk during free agency. I wouldn't want the best defender to walk, but I imagine the cap is going to be tight after miles is resigned. You already have book Knight on the roster and potentially three rookies to replace him. I think the goal, obviously with this organization, it's always been the goal, especially considering where they're at is to not go into the tax. It's pretty obvious. But let's assume that the only goal for Charlotte this offseason is to draft some rookies, retain Bridges, retain Cody Martin. Obviously, you know, just as a my personal opinion, that there's probably more that they need to be looking to do. But it is still doable to do that. Like they can go over the cap to sign Miles, use an exception to sign Cody Martin, and they will still be close, but they'll be under that tax of one hundred and forty seven million. So. I like Cody Martin a lot. I really like what he brought to this team. You know what you're getting from him as a defender. Hustle stats, deflections. He's going after those 50-50 balls. He's a little bit underrated as a playmaker coming off the drive. He had an improved three-point shot this past season. Let's see if that continues next year. I'm assuming most people might think that that could have been of an aberration and, you know, there's not enough consistency from behind the arc. Maybe you're going to get more value from the rookies and, you know, see what book Knight can do. But book Knight obviously is not going to bring the defensive presence that Martin does. So it, it is doable to to keep him around, and if you wanted to create more wiggle room, they could always waive Ubre. There would be five million in dead cap space, but you would save seven million of his twelve uh, off the books. So there are there's ways to kind of wiggle around this. It's whether or not you view Cody Martin highly enough for this team that already lacks you know a defensive presence on the team.
1: And do you, do you have right. any thoughts on what that? number would look like Richie, like even roughly for Martin for Martin to come back?
2: Well, if you go after, if you use the biannual on him, the biannual exception uh, can be used and it would be 4 million, like uh, 4 million and some change, uh, somewhere between four and five. There's a point, there's a point where one, it it just doesn't make sense to pay Martin that much, but it also, it's going to put you in the point where you're getting closer and closer to that $147 million for that tax range. So how much consideration do you give to like the salary cap here or, or are you just accepting the fact that maybe they're just not going to go after Martin?
1: So to, I mean, the, the, and you already kind of alluded to this, the, 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 pro, the issue with letting Martin walk, which, which I think is is on the table kind of depending yeah. on how the offseason plays out. And frankly, depending on who they're able to wrangle at 13 and 15, like if they think they can bring in, uh, you know, I'm just I'm just throwing out an example here, but a guy like Ochai Abaji from Kansas, who is a four year player. Uh, he's not an 18 year old and and he is kind of billed as a, you know, three and D prospect. Now, he, he will not be the NBA defender that Cody Martin is on day one, but he does offer a little bit more of like shooting off the bounce and some other stuff. Can Kupchak get someone at 13 or 15 that he thinks replaces 85 to 90% of what Cody Martin can do. I don't know the answer to that question, but I feel like that is an option that's on the table. The the problem with letting Cody walk as the roster is constructed today is his defensive qualities are pretty unique on the roster. And we're, we're already desperate for point of attack defense and, and kind of our best, Iteration of point of attack defense would be walking out of the door with Cody Martin leaving. So that's not ideal. He's also been a homegrown development talent from our G league program as a second round pick all the way up to being a rotation player and a guy who's about to sign his first like real NBA contract. You know, it's interesting. I, I, the four to five ish million range feels right to me. Like a comparison that I've drawn is Caruso who is, who is a bit more, uh, higher paid than that. But I think Caruso is a bit more, uh, proven, particularly in the playoffs, obviously, and brings just a bit more to the table and Caruso, you know, he's in that eight to $9 million range. So Martin around five seems feels about right. Um, I guess it's just a matter of, like you said, how close can get, how close can they get to the tax? Can they come to an agreement with Martin that makes sense for both sides and how, how much of his services do they think they can replace in the draft? Like Those are all kind of the factors I see that play into this. I'm hopeful they bring him back at a reasonable number that you just laid out. I think that would be the best course of action because I'm always wary. I mean, you can hit big. There's some asymmetric upside in going that route. But, but man, counting on a rookie, mm-hmm. particularly defensively, is – Mm, You're walking on thin ice there. I mean, it can happen. Like, don't get me like Herb Jones is an incredible defensive rookie. But like, I wouldn't bet on the Hornets bringing in a guy like that who is, you know, first team all rookie and like one of the better perimeter defenders in the NBA on uh, on day one. That's just that's tough, tough, tough to do.
2: That's partially why I think that, you know, attaching a pick to Ubre or attaching a pick to Plumley or, or something like that, that they can get off some money. And maybe the team that's taking in Plumley or Ubre, they both have partially guaranteed contracts. So if they needed to waive them, they could they could as well. Next question from Jordan Smith at Mr. Underscore Bultitude are there any viable point of attack defenders available this off season that could have a meaningful impact next year? So this is a good segue from the conversation that we were just having with Cody Martin. Have you glanced at the free agent list at all before hopping on here or not? Not necessarily
1: a little bit, a little bit, you, you're cool if I just kind of yeah. rattle a few off here and i'm i'm I'm
2: always so bad at predicting how much these guys are gonna make anyway. So like when I look at these names or when you're gonna rattle off some names, like I have no idea how much they're gonna get what what's the price range for them and what's the price range for Charlotte? Who knows?
1: agreed. I, I would say, so I've got three names here. Two of the three would probably almost certainly be kind of like, well, I say that. and as right. I'm saying, it, maybe not because, uh, okay. So, so here's the first name, Wesley Matthews, the issues with Wesley Matthews is number one. He's he, obviously he was with the Milwaukee bucks this season. Like Wesley Matthews wants to play for a contender. Most likely he took them. He took the veteran minimum to go to Milwaukee to play with Giannis and to kind of be there, you know, along with Drew holiday, of course, but like be a big time kind of point of attack, wing defender, uh, you saw him take the Jason Tatum assignment in the Celtics series. And, and he had success early in that series. And then Tatum kind of got comfortable and, and and torched him late in that series. But like, you know, he, he's a guy that fits the physical and skill profile, but may not fit from like, a, you know, like a player goal standpoint, frankly. Like it feels like Wesley Matthews wants to attach himself to contenders and try and be a rotational wing and, and like, win a couple rings on his way out. He's 35 years old. The other one is Javon Carter, who is a, I think, second- or third-year player out of uh, University of West Virginia. He has limitations. He was also on the Milwaukee Bucks uh, this season. He also played for the minimum. Um, But he the the one thing he does is heat the ball up, guard full court. He's he's honestly kind of like a – Alvarado type like not quite that flashy flamboyant popular but like very similar in the fact that he's just he's just kind of a nasty little guard that gets in that gets in you and, and we really don't have a guy like that but you know whereas Wethley Matthews can guard wings Javon Carter is really not built to guard wings he's, yeah. he's more of a point of attack point guard defender and then the last name I would throw out is Gary Payton the yeah. second who is in the finals right now I didn't realize how old he was by the way is he like twenty-six or twenty-seven? Yeah, he might be like twenty-seven or twenty-eight, I think. So yeah, he, he he's uh I mean honestly kind of like kind of like Cody. Like you feel like Cody's a little younger than he is, but he's like 26, 27 as well. You know, these guys that are three and four year college players like like that. Um He's 29. T- Gary is? Yeah. Oh wow, 29. Yeah. yeah, that's wild. Yeah, so obviously he is just I mean, he would be an awesome fit. <laughs> The problem is because he's coming off of this featured role on such a great team. Sometimes you end up overpaying for guys like that. And I worry about a team like just kind of being like, like, like he has obvious limitations and he fits a very specific role that frankly the Hornets need really bad. But I I, like he doesn't deserve Caruso money and he might get Caruso money. (laughs) Right.
2: You're exactly right. He does not deserve that. And you always wonder about the situation that these players are in and, you know, being on a team like the warriors, where you've got great veterans around him, and, you know, not that, not to say that he's not a good defensive player because he is a good defensive player, but you just wonder if his stock has been boosted because of that. I've got to do more digging on potential point of attack defenders I like quickly looked at the free agent list before hopping on here. But like I said, it's so hard to predict money for these guys. You know, just kind of scrolling down, I saw Victor Oladipo. He boosted his stock this season, but I think he's just out of Charlotte's price range. Bruce Brown is also uh, on this list for free agents, but I think he's more of like a wing defender more so than a a true point of attack defender for Charlotte. The last guy that I do want to bring up, and I just don't know if there's a way that Charlotte can actually acquire him and I've actually brought him up before on Twitter is Lou Dort. Like he's he's obviously an amazing a point of attack defender and I'm not really sure what OKC does with him because he has a team option which is very measly like 1.8, 1.9. So it makes sense for the Thunder to pick it up, but there has been some conversation surrounding Dort if they do pick up that team option next year, he's an unrestricted free agent and maybe they can't compete with the open market. So what they might do is decline his option, and then he becomes, a, uh, I guess, a restricted free agent. And at that point, OKC can match any offer this offseason. So it would be kind of like a very strategic way of trying to bring back Dort on a longer deal. But if there was any way that Charlotte could finagle stuff to get him, like obviously that's probably the best-case scenario. But back to the question, I, I really would have to do a little bit more digging on some of these free agents
1: yeah those are the three names i came across that i thought were interesting and like maybe potentially realistic but all have their issues in certain ways i mean that that's the reality when you're kind of like dumpster diving for point of attack defenders like they they have their warts it's just like pick your poison do you want a little bit of a cheaper guy do you want a little bit of an older guy do you want to do you want to kind of take the risk of overpaying on a guy who might be on an upward development arc it's it's a gamble in every sense, which is, and and you, this is like essentially a quote from you earlier, Richie. It's like, you know what you're getting with Cody Martin. And maybe that's another argument. He's your guy. He's in-house. You know him better than anyone, Maybe maybe that's the best route to try and retain some perimeter defense.
2: Yeah, because at some point, if you're going to overpay for a guy that's not been in your system before and he ends up being, you know, equal or lesser to Cody Martin, it just doesn't make any sense. So we are going to end with this last question. It's actually two questions that came in were very, very similar. Eric Cooper says, how can the team move forward with Terry Rozier in the fold? His extension seems not to match the timeline. And then another question came in uh, at Paper Price 323 Do you see Terry Rozier as a main core of the team for many years to come, or do you see him as a movable piece? Lee, I'll I'll let you handle this question first before I give my final thoughts.
1: One thing I will say, and this is something that um, I've said a few times on the pod, like, Rozier is younger than you think he is. It's some of these other guys are older than you think he is. Rosier's a little younger than he, than you think he is. So, like I don't think his contract automatically qualifies as being like outside of our timeline. I mean, this is a team frankly that's trying to win now. This is a team that has this is a team that has Gordon Hayward under contract for the next few years and 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 has a what will be what, a 20 or 21-year-old all-star point guard in his third season. Uh, a team that made a really hard decision in the off season to fire a coach that had had a pretty successful era because he wasn't quite getting the Hornets to where they want to be right now. So like I'll answer it in two ways. Number one is I, 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 I disagree with the fact that Terry's contract doesn't, doesn't line up with the timeline. Number one He's only 28 years old. gonna He's he's essentially coming into the prime of his career from like um, a physical standpoint. Uh, he's become one of the most elite, you know, catch and shoot players on the on the globe, and 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 pairs really nicely with Lamelo. Assuming that Lamelo takes some defensive strides that right. I think he can next season. Obviously, we talked ad nauseum on this podcast for years. About what the future looked like when the Charlotte Hornets had three small guards on their backcourt Terry Rozier, Devontae Graham, Malik Monk. Terry Rozier is the only one left of that trio. And we all knew that that was not a workable trio, trio out into the long term. Now, the Hornets are incredibly athletic. Well, they are much more athletic. Let's say that they are much more athletic, much longer, much bigger positionally. Uh, on the wings, on the perimeter than, than they have been on the past and continue to trend that way. So, like, Terry Rozier can exist just fine on this roster. Terry Rozier is still a very good player. Uh, Terry Rozier is younger than you think and fits the timeline of a team that, frankly, is trying to win today. Um, and, then, and then the last thing I'll say is kind of to the, to the second question, all that being said, my, my whole Terry Rozier kind of uh, parade I just did right there at the same time, I absolutely do see him as a movable piece. I don't think he's part of that untouchable young core that the Hornets have. I do think he is a vehicle for improvement if the Hornets feel like they're getting to a point where they really have to shake things up. Terry Rozier still has a ton of value um, in the market and could be used, certainly, to to try and roster improve if if the Hornets feel like they need to do that. So... I, I think he fits, but I also think he's movable. <laughs> I
2: think, I think why many people think that he doesn't fit because he, he, he is the longest contract of anyone, you know, that's under contract right now. He, sure. he is going out the longest, but I've actually said this before on Twitter, but I actually think trading Rozier makes more sense to me than trading Hayward if I had to choose, mainly because he is viewed more highly around the league than Hayward is right now. Now, I think it would be easier to convince an opposing team to take on Rozier's contract, even though it's a little bit longer. I I do think it's possible, like you said, to move forward with Rozier in the fold. Uh, But like you kind of alluded to there, You know, with him and LaMelo, Brian's kind of pointed this out as well. Like there's got to be some defensive players surrounding them or LaMelo takes another jump on the defensive side of the court. It's almost like you have to have the three, four, five guys be a positive on the defensive end. And, you know, while Miles has improved in certain aspects, most of his energy is going to be spent on the other end of the court. So do I think he's part of the future? I I, kind of waver back and forth, a little iffy on that. I still think he's a he's movable, but maybe his contract might scare some teams off, but any team would love to have a gravity three-point shooter like him. I do wonder if like Mitch were to trade him soon-ish, would that be like admitting defeat and that that contract extension was like a mistake, which I've always said like why did they feel the need to sign him before the season even started? Like that's something that I'll never really truly grasp because One, it felt rushed, but two, they could have signed him within the season. So I'm like you, I kind of go on both sides of this. Like, I think they can move forward with him, but I also feel like he is movable. And I think he actually is more movable than Hayward, even though he has a longer contract. So Lee, any uh, final thoughts on any of these questions or the Hornets future as we kind of go into the off season? We're getting closer and closer to the draft here.
1: Yeah, no, uh, awesome questions per usual um, from our audience. Uh, Thank you all for, for putting them in uh, had some uh, like sparked some really good conversations. I think, um, only other things I would say is eventually Richie, we're going to have to, you know, I assume we're going to have a head coach at some point and we will have an emergency head coach pod. So look out for that when, and if ever the, the Charlotte Hornets decide they might want a basketball coach. And then other than that, uh, I think keep looking out for draft stuff. We'll, we'll continue to kind of hit on prospects. Uh, we've been doing groupings of like three prospects at a time. And so you can go back and listen to all those previous episodes. If you are into the draft stuff, I think we're also going to do kind of a second round gyms uh, NBA draft podcast with the idea of some of us, bringing ideas of late second round players that we think are steals for that, for that the Hornets could potentially target at 45. Um, so yeah, we're getting fully into the draft nerd stuff as we're, I think like three weeks away from the draft, which is kind of wild.
2: Yeah. And I have not done enough research on these guys. I've just fallen in love with Malachi Branham. I'm not even going to look at the others. So, but, <laughs> yeah. but to Lee's point, the, probably the next up, ep- well, I guess, depending on the head coach situation, but probably the next draft episode will probably be centered around second round picks at that number 45 position. I'm all for like trading that pick and attaching it to a player, like I mentioned before, but also take a peek in the episode notes for that link for Substack to get BuzzBeat plus for $35 a year. I think it's well worth it. And we will talk to you guys later. For Lee, I'm Richie. Go Hornets. When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online.